0: Um, could you do me a favor? In that backpack, my old falling apart Bible is there, but I might need it, so we'll see. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Um, so this is a hard one this morning, just because it is very emotional with Dave and Katya leaving. I don't know how it happened that I landed on this Sunday, but I will pull my mess together, <laughs> and I will be focused. Um, so... What we're going to do today is um, we're not going to look... I know sometimes we look at one passage of scripture very closely and very in-depth. I'm going to give us kind of um, broad sweeping strokes. Um, So we're going to cover quite a bit of territory, um, but we're not going to go into anything in great detail. Um, But the reason we're going to do that is so that we can end where where I want to end, which is the crux of my message today. So for that reason, because I'm going to be brief on several topics that we could actually talk for days about. Um, I just want to encourage you, I am going to use a quote uh, or two, depending on timing, out of um, A.W. Tozer's The Crucified Life. Um, I would highly recommend, if you have not read it, that you should read it. Um, So A.W. Tozer, (laughs) The Crucified Life, Um, and also, depending on timing, um, but even if I don't get to these quotes... um, I would highly recommend that everybody in our church read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, Oh, we have this at the bookstore. Oh, we'll get it or something. Something will happen at the bookstore. (laughs) Um, But we actually, two or three years ago, I can't remember, all of our small groups went through this book together. Um, It is pretty lengthy, um, but it's probably one of my favorite, well, well, we'll say one of my top ten, okay, top ten favorites, uh, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, A.W. Tozer, The Crucified Life, and then, of course, the Bible. So um, um, so I'm actually, before we open the f- to the Word, I'm going to give you like a snapshot, and I'm going to have my clock in front of me so I can make sure it's really a snapshot and not a very lengthy uh, two-hour introduction. Um, I'm going to give you a quick snapshot because we're in the midst of our basic series. And for those of you um, that don't know, Boston is a very transient city. And so for us, even though like once a year we go very in-depth kind of through some of our prophetic history and we give context for kind of like what this is all unto... Um, and what the Lord has spoken to us and what we're laboring for, what we then realize is probably within like three to six months, we have a good number of people that have not heard or do not have that context. Um, So for those of you that have like kind of like lifers with us here, like Will, (laughs) um, you know, this is something you might hear frequently. But it's funny because whenever I feel like, oh, all of our regular people that are like really, you know, been family and been here, this is going to be so boring. But usually after, After we share it, they actually will come to me and say, I feel re-envisioned and, you know, it makes my heart come alive. So, but what I am going to say is I'm not going to go into great detail. For those of you that are like, oh my gosh, she's going to do prophetic history. This could take three Sundays. No, I'm not. I'm going to very, very briefly give a, a snapshot, but also in context of kind of where we're going. So as an introduction, for those of you that don't know, um, in the year 2000, we were a part of something um, on the Washington Mall called The Call. It was a national solemn assembly. I'll just say it was miraculous. 400,000 people gathered when we were a part of the organization, we didn't know if anybody was going to gather. Because at the time, the gentleman, Lou Engle, who was organizing, nobody had ever heard of him. He was kind of a no-name guy just saying, let's turn America back to God. And that was it. That was the vision statement. Let's turn America back to God. And that's through Joel 2, prayer and fasting. <laughs> call the nation to repent. And surprisingly, he didn't put anybody's name out there. He didn't put a worship team, a great speaker, an awesome prophetic guy that would call out your social security number. Nothing. None of that was out there. It was just simply call the nation to repentance and to return to the Lord. And 400,000 people came to that call. That's crazy to me. It is crazy. Um, I'll say that's crazy because we're not actually seeing that happen right now. Right now in church, in Christendom, we have to put like lots of names out there and like lots of um, self-promo and things like that to really pump people to convince them that it's... um, But I will say, as much as that was amazing in 2000, we are going to head into a time and a season where it's far greater. And the response of God's people and the desperation in the hearts of God's people will be far greater than anything that we've ever seen. So if you're thinking like, oh, I wish I was you know, saved in 2000 and was a part of that, you just hold on a little bit. <laughs> just hold on. So in 2000, we were in D.C. We came to um, New England Government Center in 2001. And in 2001 in Government Center, there was 40,000 people gathered there in New England. Can you imagine in New England, 40,000 people the week after 9-11, which 9-11, they, those people flew out of here, so there was like a lot of fear and like everyone was cautioning that we shouldn't gather. But 40,000 New Englanders, hello, gathered to the man that like rocks and has a raspy voice and says, turn a nation back to God. You know, they all came and we all stood for 12 hours, you know. Um, was anybody there? Any of my, Oh, okay, we were there. <laughs> Ruthie! Ruthie! Yay, Ruthie. Most of you are like, I I wasn't saved yet. (laughs) Okay, so 2001. In 2001, when we did the call, what we were specifically praying for in 2001 was the redigging of the wells of revival in New England, number one. And so if that's new to you, if that language is new to you, I am going to say you need to begin to immerse yourself in revival history because you are kind of in the land of revival history and awakening. And so it's very rich. And I'm going to say to you, if you've been a skeptic of it or if you've stayed away for it, from it, it will ignite your faith. It will give you vision for what God desires to do. And I'm going to tell you this too. It's going to make you startling aware of how lukewarm and how half hearted and faith lacking we are in our present generation. That's what it will startle you. <laughs> so immerse yourself in revival history. So we were praying for the redinging of the wells of revival. We were also praying that the Lord would close the door to false ideologies that are coming through the Ivy Leagues. It's a sermon for another day. (laughs) Uh, And we'll expound on that another time. But we were praying into that. We were praying for the raising up of another student volunteer missions movement. For those of you that don't know, it was out from Massachusetts, the Salem Wharf in Salem, Massachusetts, that the first missionaries were sent overseas. And we're going to talk about that a little more later. Um, But student volunteer missions movement... College campuses, the closing the doors, false ideologies, revival. That was pretty much it in in a nutshell. So we prayed that day. And how many of you guys know when you start to like jump into a prayer meeting and begin to pray things, prayer has spiritual momentum. Like you don't just pray it once and then drop it and walk away. Those prayers kind of come back to haunt you a little bit. Like, they come back. Those words, and I don't get it. I'm sure you science brains, there's probably some, I bet you, there's something about words when they're released into the atmosphere that they're kind of eternal or something. Like, there's somewhere in the atmosphere that once it is spoken, it releases something of momentum. I actually feel that way sometimes in the house of prayer. All of the prayers that have been prayed in that J-Hop building, I think the walls just must be saturated and echoing with the cry of God people for revival and awakening in Boston so there we are in 2001. So what happens to me? I'm immersed in that prayer meeting. I'm, I'm re-covenanting the, the covenant that Jonathan Edwards made. That was kind of like my part was to pray for an extraordinary move of prayer that would bring the gospel to the nations of the earth. That was kind of like my assignment because Jonathan Edwards, he wrote something called the humble attempt. And in the humble attempt, he basically took the prophecy out of Zechariah And he basically said, he believed that out of the new England area, that there would come such a move of prayer that the gospel would be preached to the ends of the earth in one generation. Now, can I say this to you? Jonathan Edwards was prophesying these kind of things before he even understood that the nations of the earth would be amassed in Boston because we are the educational hub of the world. So he's prophesying these things. Let's be honest. They sound impossible, a prayer movement that would bring the gospel in every tribe and every tongue. Uh, uh, how's that happen? Like, he didn't know about the interwebs. He didn't know about, you know, <laughs> Instagram, all of the ways that we have to now communicate globally. How easy travel is for us now. You travel to the other side of the world, it's, it's no big deal. The accessibility of the globe to us in this generation. He had no concept, but yet he was speaking by the Spirit of God. So Jonathan Edwards put it out there, and I say as a generation, that's my role in 2001, that we're recovenanting to see what Jonathan Edwards saw. Oh, boy. (laughs) There we go. 2002, I stumble upon a vacant college campus. And mind you, everything that we had been praying. And I think, well, I wonder what the history of this college campus is. So I began actually Bradford Mass. It's actually where we're doing our intensive this summer. It's a vacant college campus. It was, it was in the town, next door to the town. I was raised in a town called Groveland. So I would drive by it, like, coming to and from work, and I had, like, never noticed it before, but I'm like what is this college? Well, I begin dreaming about the college, this vacant college campus. It's showing up in my dreams that it's an all-girls school. I see the girls in their uniforms. Now in some of the dreams, I'm walking on the college campus and I'm looking in the windows. So I just decide, I'm like, okay, this thing is like kind of haunting me a little bit. I decide to just pull into the abandoned college campus one day, poke around and look in windows. And as I'm looking in windows, I'm seeing the exact buildings and the layouts and the stairwells that I saw in my dream. And I think okay there's something here that I should probably pay attention to I go to the library get out a little history book and what do I find when I'm studying the history of it I find that it was an all-girls school okay <laughs> and I begin to read the history of it and it's and obviously I'm paying attention because the Lord had been speaking to me I'm reading the history of this school and in a nutshell it's Anne Hazeltine was a part of this school. Her father was actually on the board. Anne Hazeltine married Naira Judson, who basically they were the first missionaries that were commissioned and sent to Burma, India. And so... This little school this this all-girls school what happened was have you guys ever heard of the haystack revival haystack revival happens in Williams College it's like five students that should speak to us that think that our small groups are insignificant and powerless five students at Williams College they have a prayer meeting it's raining so they kind of like hide under this haystack area the lord breaks in with a vision they have a vision of the gospel being preached to the ends of the earth They're interrupted with something that has never been done before, that has never been seen before, that God drops a little dream in their heart. Do you want to know something? For those of you that are questioning, like, how do I discern the voice of God? It either leads you unto himself or the advancement of God's kingdom upon the earth. If you look at what these young guys began to dream about, you can find it scripturally. You can find, how many of you guys know Joel too says in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh that's what those young that young band of college students began to dream of what does it look like for God to pour out his spirit upon all flesh How do we participate with the activity of the Holy Spirit in seeing that happen? They go to the congregational board in Bradford, Massachusetts, the board that was working with Bradford College, which was the all-girls school. They make an appeal. They set their vision out before them. Takes six years. They put together the board. They get the funding. Finally, these guys are commissioned and they start the first board of foreign mission, foreign missions commissioners. Oh wait, the first board of commissioners for foreign missions. That's a long word. Uh, (laughs) We abbreviate everything now. Um, They start it. They commission these guys. They send them out. Do you know when you read the history books of Bradford College, it says that when you stepped onto that campus, it was like stepping under the thunderings of Mount Sinai. How many of you guys would like that, that your college campus would have such a revival and awakening that it would be like stepping under the thunderings of Mount Sinai? Maybe that's the vision that you need to get. You know, I know that we're in the Boston area, and as I'm talking about these things, most of you are very, like, practical, pragmatic, <laughs> rational, calculated people. Clearly, unlike myself. But <laughs> and so there's parts of you that it's kind of like, well, if I set my high hopes and my high visions on things like that, and then I don't see it happen, then all my, my hopes are dashed, and that's disappointing. And that's just not realistic. And I just don't think... You know what I want to say to you? Your faith... And your spiritual life needs a really good gust of the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. Because if you're sitting with speculation and criticism and doubt and unbelief and and your mind is kind of going through all of those things, you know what I want to say to you? You have gotten into the place of your mind instead of communing with the Spirit of God from your spirit, So today, and and for while I'm communicating, just because of my style and my approach, you probably need to just for a second ask the Holy Spirit to sensitize your spirit man and to awaken you to his desire. Because this is kind of where we're going to be going. So in 2002, I find this college campus. I'm like, okay, once I find out it's the history of, like, the student volunteer missions movement and this great revival and awakening, I'm like, wait, we were just praying this at the call. I'm like, there's something here. (laughs) I start, like, researching all of it and start going, God wants to do this again. How many of you guys know it was around that time that IHOPKC had just started? I think they were still in a trailer. And, like, I'm emailing random people that I don't even know going, I think, like, House of Prayer... Like a new missions movement, but me like all birthed from prayer and praying communities. Like, does anybody want to do something at this college campus, please? <laughs> I'm like trying to tell people like, this is it. Like we're, another missions movement, but it, the face of it looks different because it's born and sustained through the place of prayer. We've never seen missions done like that before. Born and sustained from the place of prayer. Most of us get a vision for something and then we take off running. We're like, I got the endorsement of heaven. You know, look at Jesus. He never left the place of prayer. The son of God, you find his life in the rhythm of prayer. That when there was great success and great breakthrough and great victory, you find him on the mountain alone praying in solitude. When there's hardship and difficulty and persecution, you find him in fellowship and communion with the father. He never left the place of prayer you know, we adopt that model, we might start seeing something drastically different in, in, in the church of Jesus Christ. So I'm praying over the college campus. I'm like, okay, something's going to happen here. I'm going to pray into this. And it was actually, um, it was in 2003, as I told you, I was involved with the call. I go out to Pasadena, California, and there's a place called Ma Auditorium. And basically, when I, I don't know anything about Mott Auditorium. I don't know the history. I've never heard of a man named Mott. I didn't know what was going on, really. I step onto the college campus. <laughs> I see this man's face. It's, like, painted across the entire auditorium. And behind it is a globe. As soon as I see it, I go into travail. If you don't know what that is, we'll talk about it on another Sunday. <laughs> ugly, messy. Let's just say, instead of me trying to pray, the spirit of prayer comes on you, and you have no option. And I'm clearly bearing witness to something that the Holy Spirit is highlighting. I see his, his face, and Lou going, you have history with John Armott. I'm like, who? Who's he? You know, and he's like, this is a window. And so they pulled out their disposable camera. We didn't have iPhones then in 2003. Pulled out their disposable camera. I still have the picture I've showed many of you. Take a picture. Me sobbing, hysterical. You can clearly tell something was disruptive and crazy going on. Lou beaming. He was like in his 40s at the time. So he looked very, very young. Uh, (laughs) He's thrilled. So they say, this is a window. I'm like, kind of like, I don't know what's going on. But the one thing that Lou wanted from that meeting in Pasadena is he wanted a group of us to move to Pasadena and do a house of prayer with him. And I said to him at that meeting, I said, I can't move to Pasadena I'm praying over an abandoned college campus. <laughs> I'm like 22. I'm praying over an abandoned college campus, and I give them the whole thing. What you're doing here with House of Prayer, but I think it's going to happen there, but it's going to be night and day prayer and another missions movement. That happens. I'm like, I can't go to Pasadena. I come home that week from my whole episode with seeing John Armott's face. I come home that week, and I have a history book for Bradford College. My friend has a history book for Bradford College across the table at a coffee shop. And as she's reading Bradford College, I look on her page, and I see the name John R. Mott. I'm like, wait, what is John R. Mott? He's a guy from California that I just learned about. What does he have to do with Bradford College? I grab her book, and basically that that book begins to articulate that 100 years later, so the first student missionaries, they were in the early 1800s. Then early 1900s, John R. Mott gets a vision from God for another student volunteer missions movement. But what does he do? He comes to Bradford, Massachusetts. He comes to remember. Oh my gosh, that, that is the picture. That is it, look at me, can you tell? I mean, I'm a wreck. That was a matter of moments, that was, uh, that is so funny. So John Armat, who I'd never heard of in my life, I know and look how young Lewis. <laughs> I know his shirt says Nazarites. If you don't know what that is, come back next Sunday. Uh, <laughs> so I see and I grab the book and I'm like, what does John Armott have to do with Bradford College? So I begin to read in the book and basically what it was is he came to Bradford because he was remembering the first student volunteer missionaries that were sent abroad, but he was calling a new generation to fulfill their task. And his exact words were, actually, we had it up there on the video, is that there, were, there was a, stu- a band of student volunteer missionaries that had dreams, dreams that they did not realize in their generation, and is the call of God upon our generation to complete that task, to see the evangelization of the world in one generation. Can you imagine this guy in the early 1900s? What, like, a grandiose vision. I mean, even now with all of our accessibility and all of our things, like to say the world evangelized. if you're not aware, we, ha- we have unreached people groups. It's a very real thing that there's places that the gospel has not been preached, which is one of the greatest injustices in our generation with all of the availability, the accessibility and mobility that we have, that there's people that have not heard the gospel in the name of Jesus preached. So then I figure I'm like, okay, something is happening. Clearly, John Armott, I go into travail, you know. <laughs> so all of this is kind of transpiring, and then I go to Redding, California, and it's like 2004, 2005. I still don't have Boston or J Hop or anything here, even on my radar. I go out to Redding, California. One of Bill Johnson's prophets on staff calls me out, comes, walks up to me, and all he specifically says when he walks up to me is Bradford College. Thinking. The heck knows it's still vacant, it's still abandoned. It's crazy. I'm thinking, who in urine from California? He says, Bradford College. He said, the place where your feet stand. He said, is the crossroads for revival to the nations of the earth. He said, as you see awakening on the college campuses of Boston, it will be the catalyst for the next student volunteer missions movement you've seen in your spirit. So I get this word, it's recorded, all of this stuff. To be honest with you, this is how prophecy works. I definitely heard everything about Bradford College, and I was like, yes, yes, like God's confirming. I didn't hear anything about Boston or college campuses. So then when Lou calls me in 2005, like, I need to start a house of prayer in Cambridge. Sorry, dude. I'm like locked on to Bradford College. Like, I like three times was like, no, I'm praying for an abandoned college campus. That's my mission. That's my assignment. I'm not moving from it. So finally, the third time when he called, I just said, I'm going to go on a three-day water fast. If God doesn't break in and speak to me, I'm just telling Lou, I'm so sorry, find someone else. (laughs) but if he does, then I'll do it, even though I don't understand it. I'm on my three-day water fast. The Lord reminds me to go back to the word from Reading because it was such a defining word and such a confirming word. I go back to the word from Reading. It's the first time. It's the first time I hear, as you see, an awakening on the college campuses of Boston. It will be a catalyst for the student volunteer missions movement that you've seen in your spirit. And all of a sudden, I'm like, Oh, that's where the sending comes from. Like that. And then all of a sudden, it becomes so clear as far as the wisdom of God, because the other word that he gave me that I didn't hear was the nations of the earth think that they're coming to Boston for a degree. But they're not coming for a degree, they're coming for the fire of God. You know, this wasn't like man's idea just to kind of amass, like, what is it, like 35 college campuses just within like how many miles here. Like that wasn't man's idea. That was God's divine strategy. And if you go all the way back to the very founding of our nation, John Witherspoon when he wrote the model for Christian's charity, that's what he declared. He didn't say they were coming aboard this bo- boat and they were coming to be- develop a nice comfortable life. He said we are going that we would be a city set upon a hill and a light to all nations. He goes on to say that we will be an example. We will be a shining light to the nations of the earth and they will say, "Make it like that of New England. And he goes on to say that if we should deal falsely with our God, if we should forsake him in any of our covenants and not walk rightly with him, then we will become a byword amongst the nations of the earth. You need to read a model for Christian charity. (laughs) So at that point in time, and I need to totally fast forward so I can get out of my intro. (laughs) (laughs) huh? (laughs) (laughs) What time is it? Yikes. I got 15 minutes to wrap it up. Um, So at that time, we ended up starting J-Hop Boston. We started J-Hop Boston, and it was during the 40 days of establishing J-Hop Boston, I still was kind of like, what am I doing here in Boston? It's a college campus, a vacant college campus. Who's going to pray over it? Who's going to stand on that vision? It was during that first 40 days that um, one of Lou's prophetic friends he had a dream, and it, it was actually during a really dark time. The hard, 40 days were hard. When you do 24-7 worship and prayer, you're sleeping on floors and churches and not eating, and it's the middle of winter in New England, and after those 40 days, you have no idea what you're doing. And someone keeps announcing you're starting a house of prayer (laughs) and you have no money and no people. That's scary. But um, so it was during those 40 days I still was kind of like, I think I'm going back to Bradford. I don't like it here. And this guy has a dream. And in his dream, he said he sees masses of young people. And he said they have welts on the temples of their head. And he said that when he saw the welts on the temples of his head, he asked the Lord, he said, what, like, what is that on their, on their heads? And he said, he heard the voice of God in his dream say, that is poison ivy on the mind of a generation. He said the Ivy League universities were intended to be the leaves of healing for the nations of the earth. And instead they've poisoned the mind of a generation. But once again, I will cause light and glory to come from the Ivy League's. Now, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about here, you should study the original origin of Harvard. You should study Yale. You should study these colleges because they were actually like seminaries. They were for the the raising and the training up of ministers of the gospel. Harvard was actually called the School of the Prophets. They had a bell that they'd ring for prayer three times a day. Come on. (laughs) Come on. I mean, the history of these places is just astounding, and we don't have time today (laughs) to get into all of that, but during that 40 days, I, I was reminded, and I was like, yep, that is why I'm here, light and glory, that once again, the Ivy Leagues would become the leaves of healing to the nations of the earth. So that's during the first 40 days, we get a house, it's terrible, it's hard, we ate oatmeal for a year suppressing. depressing. <laughs> I'm not going to glorify any of it. But during that first year, I can remember the Lord broke in and gave me a dream. And on the, in the dream, I was walking Bradford College. And Bradford College was still vacant. Yikes. Talk about praying a long time for something. Bradford College was still vacant. And in my dream, I was bringing a group of interns that were a part of JHop Austin. And when I was bringing the group of interns there, I knew specifically that I was supposed to bring them there to give them history and to give them context what this is unto. Like, what is this all unto? And when I brought the group of interns there, that it was opening day for a Christian college. And I remember when we stepped onto the grounds and the kids all knew the history and everything, they were like, I don't understand. There's a Christian college here. And I said to them, I said, the Lord has entrusted it to them for a season of time so it can be preserved for his purposes. Those were my exact words. So fast forward, a year later, after I have my dream, the college is still vacant, and it's going to be auctioned off. They start auctioning off from the very back, the the fields and all of the sporting fields out back, and they work their way forward. So as the auctions are taking place, I go to Kansas City. I'm telling them, like, again, I'm like, we need to get this campus. It's the well for missions. Don't we care about missions? You know, I'm doing the whole thing. Someone stands up in the meeting and says, Bethany, your dream's going to happen. Your dream is going to happen. There's going to be a multimillionaire that's going to purchase the college, give it to a Christian college so it can be preserved until the fullness of time. That next week, it's being auctioned off. I get a call. Multimillionaire. <laughs> millionaire buys the campus and gives it to what used to be called Zion Bible College. They are now called North Point Bible College. And the reason they're called North Point Bible College is because you can major or, or get your master's in whatever you want, but your secondary major has to be in world missions because they have a specific focus on church planting in the Middle East. So they couldn't be Zion anymore. They had to change to North Point so they go and get flagged in the Middle East. <laughs> Do you love it? Do you love it? But this is, I'm going to just say this. That's not even the end of the story. We're like at the beginning of the beginning, people. We have not even seen this awakening on the college campuses of Boston. We have not seen the mass sending of missionaries. And to be honest with you, some of those are indigenous people that they are here from other countries and they'll simply go back to their homeland, but they'll go carrying the fire of God. They will go carrying the witness of the spirit. But this is what I want to, I share that story with you twofold. Number one, So we pay attention to what God is speaking to us. Pay attention and be sober. And if you're questioning like, I want to hear the voice of God, I'm going to tell you it is going to lead you to know him more fully, but it's also going to lead you to have a greater fervency and desire for his kingdom upon the earth. If what you're hearing is not leading you in those directions, it's probably not the voice of God. Like you need to check it in balance with the word of God. And can you find that validated in the word of God? But I I share that story also because where we're going is, this is the next thing. For our basic series, really what I want to cover today is the basics of our community. It is the basics of Christianity. It is. But it's been lost in our modern culture and generation. And what that is, is the crucified life. Because if we're going to talk about the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth, I'm going to be really clear. If you're here this morning and you're a first-time visitor, love you so much. You are welcome I'm a happy, happy lady. <laughs> I truly am. But you're going to get some context today for what it is Hilltop Boston specifically is here for. And I know it's interesting because I read this book a long time ago. And I wanted to pull a quote from it. And I'm going to. I'm going to read it to you right now. But I wanted to pull a quote from it. And as I was looking for the quote, A. Tozer goes on to say, teaching the crucified life is not something that will build churches. <laughs> He goes on to say, it will shrink your churches. If you want to know, as we delve into talking about the crucified life, we're not here to build a church. We're not. We're here to see the intended purpose of Boston and New England come to pass. I don't think it takes a mega mega church to do that. And what is the intended purpose? Is that it would be a land of revival and awakening and missionary sending. Now hear me, all are welcome here today. You are totally welcome. You should come and enjoy our barbecue on August 26th. You should come make friends, rub shoulders, even if I'm slightly offensive to you, stick around. I might rub off on you a little later. (laughs) You're loved, you're accepted. But I'm going to be straight up with you here today. I am not here to build a church that you can come and feel good at. I am not here to build a church where our humanistic philosophies and ways of viewing scripture can be stroked and we can feel better. This is not a self-help meeting that I'm here for today. I am here to build a church that at the very foundation and at the very basics of who we are as people is a crucified life. And I'm going to show you very quickly here in Scripture that this is the foundations of our faith. And if you are trying to seek a life in Christ, outside or to avoid the crucified life, you will never be satisfied, you will forever be discontent, and you will question why the Christian faith is not working for you. And it's because you are not walking it out the way he intended and called us to. Do you want to know something? Our epidemic of powerless Christianity has everything to do with the crucified life. We have a generation of young people that are obsessed with self, with self-gratification, even with our own thoughts and ideas of God. You know what Romans 1 says? It says that we have created him and we view him, instead of being master and creator of all, we've reduced him like the creation. We see him as a created being when he's an uncreated being. He is too, so far beho- beyond your comprehension. And that's the place where worship begins of saying, I don't understand you. My ways are not your ways, but I'm going to embrace the fullness of who you are. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how much offends, no matter how much it's contrary to my carnal ways. I'm going to tell you something. Your carnal ways Stink. There's a way that seems right unto men, and it only leads to death. Your ways lead to death. I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care how educated you think you are. I don't think how calculated you think you have your life down. Your ways, apart from the wisdom of God and obedience to the man Christ Jesus, they will end in death. Your decision-making on choosing spouses, your decision-making on jobs and careers and all of these things, You will end up in a tangled mess, my friend. Because there is a man that created you, that fashioned you, that designed you, that ordained your life into being. And he holds the master plan of wisdom. That even if sometimes your journey seems hard and difficult, if you ultimately commit your life to the narrow way. I taught this a couple of weeks ago. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way difficult and hard. If you commit your life to the narrow way, I'm going to tell you, you will find life in the narrow way. I'm not even just talking about life in eternity. I'm talking about life inwardly. The inward place of peace. See, most of us are running around trying to create and develop some kind of outward euphoric life of peace and safety and comfort and all of the things that make me happy and make me comfortable. You know, it's interesting, I was praying about a specific situation, and as I was praying about it, I heard the voice of God so clearly and so undeniably, and it set everything into focus. I was praying about something specific, and I heard him say to me, your focus is making much of yourself. Well, I have called you to die to self. You know, some of you, the biggest contention of your life is you're trying to make much of yourself. Much of your life, much of your reputation, much of your bank account. you Try to make much of yourself. That's not what you've been called to. You've been called to die to self. And some of you are like, well, this is morbid. <laughs> yeah, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not a morbid thing at all because do you understand that it's in the place of losing our life that we find true life? I'm going to read you guys a couple passages of scripture. Actually, before I do that. A.W. Tozer says, The health of the church is in direct proportion to the health of each individual Christian. If the church is to grow to be healthy and the individual Christians comprise the church, must, then the individual Christians comprising the church must grow, grow spiritually. Only a dynamically healthy church can ever hope to fulfill the commission of Christ, to go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. March 16, 15. One important thing that needs to be understood, not all Christians are alike. Sorry, everybody paused there and gulped. Not all Christians are alike. I will emphasize, I, I'm going to expound on this in a second. Jesus said in Matthew 13:23, but he that received seed into the good ground is, is he that heareth the word and understandeth, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth... Um, some to be a hundredfold some to be sixtyfold and some to be thirtyfold too many of us are satisfied with being thirtyfold christians but the desire of our lord is that we would press on to become a hundredfold christians the question then is how are we to go about go about being to this stage so do you understand that this parable you guys are probably all familiar with the parable it is talking about the sowing of the seed on the ground, that some fell on the wayside, some fell on the good ground, some fell on the stony ground. It's the comparison of the seed of God's word in our heart. And he kind of gives all the scenarios. And then he goes on to say, some will be 30 fold, some will be 60 fold, some will be a hundred fold. So for those of you here that that just striked a chord of like offense of kind of like, what do you mean? Like there's degrees of Christianity and I got to like earn something. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's all completely your choice you're not earning anything, you're not, I'll give it to you this way. If that's offensive to you, when you think, well, what, what am I? Am I at 30, 60, or 100? And who's the hundredfold? And how do you know they're 100 fold?" You know, all those things that just offend our hearts. That's what I'm going to say to you today. If you want to understand this, it's, it's very much like marriage. Our relationship with the Lord is actually, we're called to be married to him. What does being married to him mean? It means being wholehearted, devoted to one, and actually guarding yourself from anything that would hinder that union. Yikes. How many of you are viewing your Christian life today as wholehearted, committed to him, but also guarding yourself from anything that would hinder that union? Do we have anything here in our hearts today that would hinder our union with Christ? Okay, let, let me just say this to you. I'm going to bring it a step further. If you want to understand 30, 60, and 100-fold, I know hundreds of married couples Mar- they, they, are, they have the, um, the license to be married. They've done it legally. Many of them have done it in the eyes of the church even. But not all their marriages are the same. And what I mean by that is they are married it, by, by law and by every technical term, there's marriage that's here. The same as us, that we can be saved. We've said the sinner's prayer we, we are legally, spiritually, we've been engrafted in. But you want to know, many of those couples walk out their marriages very differently. Some of them fight vigilantly to guard intimacy, to guard communication, to be without offense. There's other ones that abide together and live together but they're totally accepting of offenses and contention and have just accepted that that's the way it is. Some of them have adulterous situations and are even accepting of that, that it's kind of part of that, well, we're we're together forever. And sometimes other people are kind of welcomed into that, but me and you, forever forever. Do you see what I'm saying? There's various terms. Some of them are living in the fullest degree of what it means to be covenanted and seeking agreement and seeking union and fighting for the fullness of what that covenant means. Other ones have the legal license and are happy just to say we have a house together. This is what it looks like and this is how we go about it and we do it on our terms. Many of us, that is precisely what's being said here about the 30, the 60, and the 100 fold. It's not saying you're not a saved individual. It's to the degree that you're seeking partnership. It's to the degree that you're seeking union. It's to the degree that you're saying, I'm in covenant, so therefore I'm going to guard my heart from all others. So what does Tozer say here? He says that without this understanding of the 30, 60, and the 100 fold, that ultimately we'll never see the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And why is that? Because if we adopt a theology that somehow it is all about you and you feeling good, it is all about you and making much of yourself, the success of your life. I'm not saying that God won't make you successful. He, he in his own desire, in his own wisdom, may do that. But I'm going to tell you, it, that will destroy you if you have sought d- success. If you seek first, this is, this is Bible people, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. He will add unto you what he desires and what he sees as his will. There's the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Most of us are at the place of being willing to live in the, the good and the acceptable because the perfect is just too hard. Do you know what the perfect will of God is? The crucified life. That's where we find the perfect will of God. I'm going to read you three passages of Scripture, and we're closing out. Luke 9, 23. And he was saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Galatians 5, 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Sometimes your flesh is just simply your ambitions. Your flesh is just making much of yourself. You know, in James it says, where do wars and fighting come from? They come from your selfish ambition. I guarantee you, if you look over the course of your week, 90% of the anxiety you had in relationship or, you know, in work or whatever it may be, even in ministry life, you know, we we have friends that are in full-time ministry. There's still ambition there. And this is why when the voice of God said to me, you are trying to make much of yourself, and I've called you to die to self. Do you want to know the very issue that I was perplexed and frustrated and kind of all inwardly contorted over? As soon as the voice of God spoke that, peace came over me. Right. I don't need to make much of myself. I need to die to myself. Well, there you go. You'll find a greater measure of peace in your life when you're no longer fighting for your own agenda and your own ambition in your own name. Galatians five twenty four. I just read that to you. Oh, John three thirty. He must decrease, but I mu- I, he must increase, but I must decrease. Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ, and is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Colossians three one. Seek those things which are above. Ephesians four twenty two. Um, but he made himself of no Oh, actually, no, sorry. I did this weird thing. I actually do want to end on Philippians 2, um, 7. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon, took upon him the form of a servant in, in likeness of man. Most of you guys, I need to close out here. But Philippians 2, most of you guys are familiar with this. This is basically where Jesus, it's about Jesus saying he made himself of no reputation. He came in the likeness of man, although he could totally come and be justified in seeking his own glory as the son of God. Instead, he brought himself low. That is what we are called to. We are called to the example and the life of Jesus Christ, which basically Jesus' life was a drink offering poured out in obedience and surrender to his father. Your life, the grand sum total of your life is to be a drink offering poured out before God that whatever he desires to make of you, wherever he desires to bring you, whatever title, whatever label, whatever it may look like, but it's unto him and for his glory and his namesake. And therefore you can be content and you can be satisfied. You know, I don't need an altar call here today, but I'm going to say this to you. I want us as a people, if you are here today and you recognize that your Christian life, that even in the place of claiming him as savior, you have still been living to make something of yourself. That that has been, I'm going to be honest with you, jobs, transitions, bank accounts. You know, when we can come to a place of trusting him fully with the details of our life, that is the place of worship That is the place of adoration. You know, we sang earlier, when you walk into the room, everything changes. You know what? He doesn't walk in of and of himself. He wants to walk into the earth and walk into college campuses and workplaces through people. But you want to know something? We do not carry the weight of heaven upon our lives because we rail against the kingdom of heaven. You want to know the kingdom of heaven? It's Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be fulfilled. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. No matter where God has called you to be, no matter what sector of society, I I want you to understand something today. I'm obviously talking very big picture. There's people that are here today that are called to business and government. It does not mean that we're all called to full-time ministry when we talk about a crucified life. Can I be honest with you? There's some of you here today that you would desire and your heart would want to be in full-time ministry, but God is saying to you, I've given you a grace and a call and an anointing and your full-time ministry is in the place of law. So that is a crucified life of saying, I'm going to abandon and I'm going to obey and I'm going to trust him with the details. You know, there's other people that don't want to be in full-time ministry. That is not the life of glam and and they don't see that as something to aspire to, but it's a place of simply honoring and serving God with the gift that he's given and, and trying to steward what God has given them in obedience. But there's a daily dying to self of saying, I'd rather be doing something else. I'd rather build security for my family, but then you die to self. And you say, it's not about that. It's about obedience and surrender to the call of Jesus Christ. So if you are here today and you know that God is inviting you and calling you, I'm going to say it this way. I'm not going to just say the crucified life in a general term. What I'm going to say to you here today is if you want to make a commitment before God, God, I'm not content with a 30-fold I'm not content with the 60-fold. I want the 100-fold that you have called me into. If you want to say before him, I am not content with the good or the acceptable, I want the perfect will of God for my life. Now hear me here today. If that is not you, if you're like, nope, I'm good. Good, I, I like my comfort. You, you are, there's grace and mercy and acceptance. You are loved. And to be honest with you, you are probably a part of the majority, so you should not feel ostracized or condemned. But if you are here today and you say, that is the cry of my heart, and I'm going to start to shift my life and my focus, that it's not about making much of myself, but it's about dying to self. If you are here today, I want you to stand to your feet because what we're going to actually do It's where physically we're going to come forward because I want us to come to the cross. Because you know what that is? That's where the word of God says that if any man desires to come after me. This is what Jesus said. If any man desires to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and come after me. But you know what it goes on to say? After that passage of scripture, those that seek to save their lives will lose it. But those that seek to lose their lives will save it. It's the place that we come to the cross and that we say we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. The example of Jesus who made himself of no reputation. And that is the call of discipleship and that is what we've been called to. Lord, we come before you this morning and God, even as we've done such a brief overview of us as Hilltop and j as far as the Great Commission and the call for the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, we recognize, God, that that task will never be completed. Lord, through lives that seek comfort and ease and that make their safety the great ambition and focus of their life. But Lord, that it will only come through lives that are laid down in surrender and abandon. And I just want to say to every person in the sound of my voice today that even when we talk about the fulfilling of the great commission that's not even necessarily saying that you have to be the one that goes. But it means that even your toil and your labor in the natural as far as even your paychecks that you honor God with the stewarding of your finances that is a crucified life. For many of us the the most place that we lay down our desires and our wants and our ambitions is in the places of our finances saying I want to seek you first in your kingdom I want to sow into the kingdom before I seek the the, the wealth and the success of my own life God we come before you today God recognizing God is a generation of young people Lord that not only is it normal to make much of ourselves and to seek self and worship self and, Lord, put ourselves upon the pedestal that others can see and admire. But, God, we recognize, Lord, that that is truly the pull, God, in this culture, in this day and in this age. And, Lord, we confess before you today, Father, that in many ways, God, that we have exalted our own wisdom and our own knowledge our own understanding and our own appetites above the wisdom of your word. So God, we see all throughout your word, Lord, the invitation to pick up our cross and to follow after you, to deny ourselves. Lord, we just say this morning that we do not want a life of seeking self, but we want a life of seeking you and honoring you and obeying in you and all that we say and do